Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening and uh, for this beautiful day and uh, how you provide uh, both the sunshine and the rain to the just and, and the unjust and believers and unbelievers uh, because you are gracious and kind and good to uh, to all, all people. Uh, you're very kind and good uh, provider and creator and sustainer of all things and all of your creatures and uh, we thank you for your word and for the Apostle Paul and uh, this uh, letter that he wrote uh, to uh, the Christians and the church in Rome. And I pray that we'd understand uh, all the more uh, what you have done in the gospel, um, the reign uh, that's in Christ, the reign of grace and uh, righteousness and justification and life and peace uh, in, in your spirit and in your son. And I pray that we'd understand uh, all the more and so that our hope and trust would be in you and uh, in your son and that you would uh, bring us all the way to glory. And uh, we pray in your son's name. Amen. And so, uh, Last time, in uh, some of the last weeks, uh, we were looking at uh, Romans 7, and we were discussing how uh, Paul talks about a transition from uh, the reign of sin, death, condemnation that came into the world uh, through the first man, uh, through Adam, and, uh, and that uh, death and condemnation spread to all men, all of his descendants, all of humanity, uh, bringing a death. Uh, upon uh, them all. Uh, and then the law was introduced to uh, increase uh, to increase sin and to show uh, what sin truly is. And we talked about that somewhat, but kind of thinking back, I thought that I'd like to emphasize that even more of the role that the law played, where if you think about, uh, we know that people were guilty uh, and God even brought a flood on the, the old world, wiping out all of humanity except eight, uh, the, uh, the seven who were with Noah, uh, and, uh, Noah too, for, for eight, eight people. That's how violent and wicked man got uh, in, in the world and spread violence to all the earth. And they were guilty, uh, and they, uh, they were, and they will be held accountable for, for their sin. But if you think about uh, the law with God's people, uh, and with the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, the Jacob's, uh, or Israel, he's also called, uh, his 12 uh, sons, uh, the 12 tribes, that when the law came, uh, there was a very great uh, change where uh, there was even much with, uh, with Noah, uh, with the patriarchs, uh, that God in his kindness and mercy and goodness overlooked. Uh, he overlooked uh, their uh, transgressions uh, to one day uh, re redeem them. And uh, Paul even talks about that in Romans, uh, Romans 3. And you, you even see with uh, Abraham, Abraham listened to his wife. That wasn't a good thing. Well, because of what she, what she was, she had her own idea about how to bring the blessing and promises about uh, through Hagar. And he took Hagar as his wife. Lamech took two wives. What are you doing, Abraham? That's not uh, God's created order. That's, that's not how he originally designed things. And you even see righteous Lot. You, you see these people who do believe in God. But wow, there are some things you read about Lot where he was far afield. He, he, was, he was deep into Sodom and Gomorrah and almost didn't want to leave uh, that town. But God showed uh, those cities uh, that God brought judgment upon. But God had mercy upon Lot and you see it time and time again. Deceptive Jacob and and his sons, uh, they commit some very violent, uh, uh, terrible acts, and even against Joseph and and the brothers. But despite human sin, it will not upset or frustrate God's promises and God's blessing. He will preserve. He will restore Himself, in spite of humans, <laughs> and even even believers. Uh, they. They stumble. They're very imperfect. They are, they are sinners. Uh, and we've seen that with Moses and uh, who didn't enter, uh, didn't enter the land. And I was talking with Eric 
as we'll talk about with the flood, God said his spirit wouldn't always strive with man. Uh, his days shall be 120 years. Uh, I think that's often misunderstood for, well, you know, down the line, humans are just going to live 120 years. No, it was 120 years until he brought the floods and wiped everyone out. And for most of that time, Noah was working on the ark. God gave time in his patience before wiping out all of humanity and preserving Noah, preserving uh, a believing righteous offspring uh, for, uh, for uh, the w woman. Uh, and Moses, he was 120 years, but he bore God's name uh, in vain. And to bear uh, God's name in vain, again, uh, it's uh, to any way that you would carry God's name, whether you represent it or how you represent God, his person, his work, his character, as, uh, as a vain thing, as an empty thing. Uh, to treat God uh, lightly and with, with contempt is to bear God's name in vain. And Moses struck the rock twice, and he, uh, God judged him uh, and punished him, a, a temporal punishment, not, not eternal. Uh, Moses uh, will, will enjoy God's ultimate blessing and be saved. But judgment came upon Moses so that he and the whole first generation failed to enter the land of blessing and promise. Just like the people in Noah's day that failed to enter uh, basically after the flood and to live and populate uh, basically a kind of a new creation, uh, a kind of a picture of new humanity with, with uh, Noah. Uh, Moses uh, and the people failed to enter even though Moses, uh, Moses was one who knew God face to face. Uh, there was never a prophet quite like Moses, knowing God face to face and for all the works that he did through him. And Moses, 120 years, cut off, couldn't enter uh, the land. Uh, and uh, as uh, I think I uh, saw this uh, reading through the end of Deuteronomy, but Eugene Merrill, uh, also who wrote a commentary, a good scholar, uh, talks about and emphasizes here Moses it talks about that uh, basically uh, his eye had not dimmed and he was as strong as like he ever was basically <laughs> showing it, Moses he didn't die naturally God took his life he had him go up on the mountain he took his life at 120 years cut off uh, can't enter the land but your children whom you said would be a prey in the land I'll appoint Joshua and Caleb, they'll bring them in. I'll bring your children in, whom you've said will be a prey, just to show it's all of grace. It's all, all of mercy. As Pastor Eric has talked about, when the law came, with the giving of the law and the Ten Commandments, and Moses came down, 3,000 were killed for their idolatry and sin and rebellion with the giving of the law, with the outpouring of the Spirit in the New Covenant, not the, the Old 3,000 were saved. And so once the law comes, suddenly 3,000 die. First day, with the, the giving uh, of the law, when he brings it uh, brings it uh, down and presents it and shatters uh, the, the stones, throws them to the ground. God's commandments broken, uh, shattered on, on the ground. And then you see throughout the wilderness, God brought them out. But now with the wilderness, uh, the grumbling, the sin, uh, the first generation dies in the wilderness. Uh, David, a uh, man after God's own, own heart, uh, he brought chastisement, punishment upon himself, sinning greatly. And he, he repented. He was a believer. But God, uh, he, he chastises and, and pu uh, punishes uh, and uh, holds accountable. It was just temporal judgment uh, in this life and ultimately for his good. Uh, but you see again and again, under the law, it brings judgment and a curse again and again until the northern the, the kingdoms are sundered uh, after Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth who had ever lived. Uh, God gave him wisdom, uh, beloved of the Lord, and his idolatry, the kingdom was sundered uh, pretty soon. Uh, not much uh, time had passed within a couple hundred years. Uh, the, the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, uh, Ephraim, as it is sometimes called, uh, by the by, the prominent tribe, 
uh, was exiled, taken out of the land. Uh, and then by 586 BC, uh, the Jerusalem and the people were destroyed uh, in judgment, great, great judgment came upon them and the curse and they were, uh, those who lived were, uh, most of them were exiled uh, except for a remnant uh, left in the land. And so with the coming of the law, uh, there is a sense in which sin was overlooked in God's grace and patience and with the law, with his people, suddenly now judgment, uh, judgment comes for uh, their sin, uh, showing just how sinful sin uh, truly is and holding them accountable uh, for it, showing the need for grace, uh, showing the need for God to give them new hearts, to circumcise their hearts, to put his spirit in them and to cause them to walk in his statutes and to forgive their sins and remember them no more. Uh, that's the new covenant uh, that is even alluded to in like Deuteronomy uh, 32, that uh, God had to do a work to circumcise uh, their uh, hearts. And so uh, with the coming of the law, uh, it showed that they were slaves to sin, condemnation, death. Uh, they, uh, they could even give mental assent. Yeah, God's law is good. Uh, they, could, they could boast in it as Jews, but they broke it and brought judgment and a curse uh, upon uh, themselves. And uh, that was the reign of sin, condemnation, and death. But with the coming of, uh, of Christ, uh, the, the anointed, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, God's ultimate anointed, uh, brought a new reign, a new covenant, a reign of grace, of, of uh, mercy. Not that God wasn't merciful uh, before he was, uh, but we really see it uh, very, very brightly and vividly with the, the new covenant, uh, God's uh, mercy in his uh, son and the giving of his son uh, and the reign of justification and righteousness and life and peace uh, so that uh, God's people, he reconciles them to himself. And, uh, and uh, as Paul says earlier in Romans, God is shown to be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, he's just by, uh, by punishing the sins that he had passed over, uh, but he's also the one who justifies and uh, declares the guilty righteous because in Christ, uh, Christ pays their, their penalty uh, so that God uh, reckons them uh, innocent and righteous in his son. And so uh, that's what we were looking at uh, with uh, transitioning just chapters 5 uh, through 7 and, and 8. And now I'd like to uh, read uh, through some of these sections in 8 and pick up where we left off. And so just by a way of review. And so uh, now in this uh, first section, we see the implications of uh, that there is no now more, no more condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what he has done in Christ, uh, in, uh, in the, the spirit, uh, to bring about this uh, reign of uh, life and righteousness and uh, peace. So, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Uh, that was the law that was at work in his members in his flesh, his sinful passions that drove him uh, to sin and bring uh, condemnation, judgment, and death upon himself, the penalty uh, of death. And so we see a transition from the one law uh, the, the, uh, now it's by the spirit and not the old way of the written uh, code. For God has done what the law, the Torah, uh, as covenant, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so Christ 
uh, has taken our place and of all those uh, who uh, believe. And it's for those believers who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That describes all believers. They, they walk, it's how they conduct themselves, how they live uh, according uh, to the, the spirit, in the way of the spirit, being taught by the spirit. Uh, being taught by Christ, by, by God, to, to have the very mind of Christ, to, uh, to know his will uh, and to know uh, the, the power and wisdom in the gospel. Uh, that's a work of the Spirit. And so now he just explains uh, in contrasts the two ways. You can either, either have the mind of the flesh, which is hostile to God and can't, can't obey him at all. Uh, Jesus even says in John 6 that uh, it's the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Sinful, mortal humanity with all of their sinful passions, uh, waging war and rebellion against, against God. And so uh, he contrasts the two and explains that it's those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, believers. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They are not able uh, they can do nothing pleasing to God. It's only by uh, the, the Spirit. And so now, showing these, these two ways, uh, he goes back to his, uh, his audience, the, the Romans. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's true of every Christian. You know, if, if in fact, if indeed uh, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's true of all, all Christians. And uh, uh, so it uh, describes, it's a condition that, of course, uh, of course, uh, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit dwells in you, you're, you're in him, you're, uh, you're united and can talk about the spirit being in us or us in him uh, with this union uh, in, in closeness of a relationship uh, and him being present uh, with us and uh, working powerfully uh, to bring about a life in, in us. Uh, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, we can talk about the Spirit as Christ, uh, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And so the body, uh, we, we don't have the fullness yet. Uh, we don't have our resurrected, glorified bodies Yet and so there's still death. Uh, if Christ tarries and, and doesn't uh, return, uh, we still die. Uh, but uh, he says the Spirit is life uh, because of righteousness. And as we talked about, uh, some commentaries like Douglas Moon say uh, that probably here a lot of times the contrast between body and spirit. Normally you'd probably take it as our spirit because he's talking about our body, but because he's been talking about the Spirit as life. And that the Spirit gives life and the, the law of the Spirit of life and such again and again and again. Uh, here it's probably uh, the, the Holy uh, Spirit. The Spirit is life because of righteousness, uh, because of what God has done through his Son uh, to make us uh, righteous uh, in him. And so, uh, and so with the Spirit, uh, the Spirit is life and we, we have life if he dwells in us. And he even says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And you listen to that. If the spirit, because you said, we, we know who the spirit is, uh, but uh, he, uh, he provides more information to characterize him. We think about him in a, in a certain way when he says this. Uh, not just the spirit, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that spirit, uh, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, uh, the powerful 
life-giving work that the Spirit did. Uh, and even the, the Son was involved in that. No one takes my uh, life from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have authority uh, to, to give it and take it up again. And the Spirit was also at work, and the Father was at work in raising him uh, from the dead because they, they all are at work in unity uh, together in bringing about a salvation. Uh, their, uh, their wills are in perfect uh, harmony. And so if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that spirit, uh, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He will do the very same thing for us that he did for uh, Christ. Uh, Christ is the down payment. Uh, Christ, uh, his resurrection shows he's the first fruits and all believers are to follow and the spirit will do uh, the very same uh, for for us as he did uh, for uh, for Christ. And so now uh, Paul draws from this, uh, showing that believers, they're in the spirit. They're not in slavery and bondage to the flesh uh, anymore, but they're in the, the spirit. Uh, he uh, concludes and, and draws an inference. So then, you want to listen for things like that. So then, because things that came before are supporting what, what follows. And he wants us uh, to, uh, to draw this and, and understand. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Uh, to be in debt to someone is to owe them. Uh, basically, they own you. Uh, uh, if you owe debt to them, uh, they own you. You're, you're, you're in debt. Uh, they, uh, they have certain control and hold over you. Uh, but he says, uh, because of, of what God has done in his Son and the, and the Spirit, uh, we are debtors, not to the flesh, uh, not to the the, the, the old uh, man, the, the old nature with all of the, uh, our sinful passions uh, to live according to the flesh. Uh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Um, again, that characterizes uh, unbelievers. They live according to the flesh. They will die. Uh, that's true of all, all uh, unbelievers. Uh, who don't repent and put their trust in Christ. Uh, but God doesn't stop at justifying us. Uh, he sanctifies us. And there, there's a past aspect to that. Uh, you were sanctified. You were consecrated to God, uh, made holy in Christ. But there's a present aspect. You are being sanctified, consecrated to God, uh, growing in holiness. And there's a, a future. You will be sanctified. We don't have the fullness yet. It comes with our, our glorification. Uh, when, when we receive the, the fullness of God's uh, promises. And so, for if you live according to the flesh, that's, that characterizes unbelievers, you will die. I uh, have to take that very uh, seriously. It's, uh, it's unbelief uh, to uh, live by li uh, like that, and they don't have the spirit. Uh, they don't have the power. They don't have the, the blessings and salvation and promises in Christ. Uh, but, uh, what follows is now true believers. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And it's by the Spirit, by his power, uh, that basically uh, sets the context for what follows. Uh, it's by the Spirit that we do this. That's where life is. That's where peace is. That's where uh, the, the power power is to... Uh, to uh, live according to the Spirit, uh, to uh, live uh, according to the, the fruit of the Spirit, and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control. Uh, but it's not perfected in, in this life, and so uh, we'll see as, as we keep uh, reading, but it's, it's by the Spirit, uh, but by the Spirit, by His power, uh, depending upon Him, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. They must be put to death uh, because uh, there is remaining abiding sin, and we must regard it as it is. 
uh, its in enemy, uh, it's to be opposed, it's to be hated. Uh, sin is wicked, it is evil, it is detestable and disgusting, and it must be put uh, to death. Uh, otherwise, apart from the Spirit, it would, it would put us to death. As, as Paul was once, uh, once a slave uh, in bondage and didn't have the Spirit, uh, that's true of all humanity uh, following Adam, uh, but by the Spirit, uh, we, uh, we battle and wage war in his power uh, against sin and put it to death. And he talks about that also in uh, Colossians, I believe, uh, chapter 3. Uh, and uh, he goes on, for all who are led by uh, the, the Spirit, uh, the Spirit leads us and teaches us of God, our sons of God. We belong to God if we're led by uh, his Spirit. Uh, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified by him. And so he's explaining uh, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. He doesn't enslave us. He doesn't bring condemnation and punishment and judgment and death upon us, but he's the spirit of adoption. Uh, if you have the spirit, uh, he's the very seal and proof uh, that you belong to God, uh, that, uh, that you are sons of God, uh, sons with, with Christ. Uh, heirs of the blessings and the, the promises. And so he's not a spirit of slavery that should make us afraid, make us fearful. Uh, the, the words aren't to make us fear, uh, but to show uh, the work that God uh, will work in us uh, through uh, his uh, life-giving uh, spirit and all of the blessings that are in Christ. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, uh, we're in fear when we were enslaved. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Uh, he uh, reveals to us uh, the, the gospel. So we uh, sound like Corinthians that we see it's the power and wisdom uh, of God. Uh, and it's not for... It's not for me uh, to, to tell anyone, uh, oh, you, you signed a card. Congratulations, you're a Christian, you know, you're, you're a son of God. That's the Spirit's job uh, through, through, through the Word. Uh, he, uh, he teaches us God's Word. He teaches us of the Gospel as we come to, to understand the Word of God uh, more and more and more. And we see the confidence and hope uh, that we have uh, in Christ. And uh, part of that, uh, just over over time, uh, we'll see that uh, there's no perfection in, in this life, but he even uh, he produces fruit in us so that we no longer uh, live in, in the, 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 the very same way that we once uh, lived uh, in rebellion uh, against God. It's, it's the Spirit himself. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And so uh, the Spirit shows we belong to God. We belong to Christ. Uh, and we see how Paul has drawn implications for this, uh, showing that now we're not debtors to the flesh. Uh, slavery to, to the flesh, to our sinful passions, uh, to Satan, to the spirits. Uh, to the law. Uh, there are many ways he states it elsewhere in Galatians and Romans. But we're not slaves anymore. We're now sons. We belong to God. And, and uh, in his final statement in verse 17, and if children, then heirs, uh, heirs, sons are heirs uh, of God, of the blessings and promises, uh, heirs of God in fellow heirs with Christ. We share in his inheritance as a, a son provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And so now, as we work through the, the end of this last uh, sections in Roman, uh, Romans chapter 8, 
Uh, we're going to see uh, this. And of course, again, we, we see where earlier he said, if the Spirit indeed dwells in you, you're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit dwells in you. It, it's kind of a axiomatic. Uh, uh, you're in the Spirit. If the Spirit dwells in you, you're in the Spirit. If you're in the Spirit, you know, basically, it's, it's true of believers. Uh, all believers, uh, that's why he says that. It characterizes uh, believers. Uh, if, if the Spirit wasn't in you, you'd be an orphan. You know, you'd still be, you'd still be a slave uh, to, uh, to sin. Uh, similarly, here he says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified him. If this is true of all believers, all Christians, that we suffer with Christ. We participate in his death, burial, and resurrection, in the blessing and the promises. We will participate in his eternal, everlasting glory, in his kingdom and inheritance as sons. And so then in this life, as we still live in a sinful, fallen world uh, that hasn't been uh, uh, God's kingdom, uh, hasn't come yet, it hasn't been uh, uh, fully redeemed, uh, the, the world. And so as we live in a sinful, hostile, rebellious world against God, where the curse still exists, uh, we still get sick, uh, we still die, uh, we face a tribulation uh, in this short uh, life, short mortal life, uh, we suffer uh, in uh, this world that's opposed uh, to God. We suffer uh, with Christ because uh, the world uh, doesn't doesn't love Christ. Uh, they, they hate him. And so if we're identified with him, uh, we suffer in this world. And so Paul's just going to uh, explain uh, what he's saying here, show some of the motivation uh, showing that this temporary, uh, relatively speaking, looking to the eternal weight of glory that will last forever and ever and ever, uh, the short temporary suffering uh, we will have in this life. Uh, he shows uh, the, the hope and motivation uh, that we have and the confidence uh, in God that he will complete the work uh, that uh, he has begun. Uh, the Spirit, the Father, and the Son are all at work uh, to bring uh, God's blessings and promises in Christ to their fullness so we receive the full uh, inheritance. And so if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And he's going to show uh, the creation, it suffers, it, it groans. Uh, and we, too, are grown in this life, but in hope. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And the sons of God, man was created uh, to rule on behalf of God over uh, the earth. And because of man's sin and rebellion, it brought a curse upon, upon man, but on, on the very creation that he was uh, to be over and be a steward. And so the creation is under the weight and the penalty of the curse and suffering. And so even characterizes the creation as if it's groaning and waiting for the redemption of the sons of God, those who will inherit the new heavens and the new earth and will reign on God's behalf in righteousness and goodness and justice as God had purposed all along so that the whole creation will enjoy the fullness of God's blessing and provision and a presence in a creation not be filled with violence anymore. So for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God showing just how how, how uh, this temporary suffering and how much better the glory will be. For the creation was subjected to futility. It's kind of like vanity, worthlessness. Uh, uh, it wasn't its original purpose and function that it can now fulfill uh, anymore, uh, being fruitful and blessed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not uh, willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it in hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so he even talks about the creation as if it, it's in bondage. It's in slavery uh, to corruption, to the curse, to the violence and the thorns and thistles and death uh, that's part of the creation. And so the creation itself groans. It's in bondage. It's in slavery uh, during this reign of sin and condemnation and death uh, that has spread because of man, that man has spread all over the earth. Uh, and so, uh, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't do it in vanity, but he did it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. It's like waiting to deliver uh, a child where it's painful uh, and uh, filled with uh, tribulation and travail and hardship now, uh, but awaiting, uh, like some of the prophets in Isaiah talk about uh, women's in childbirth, and even Christ himself uses the uh, same metaphor. Uh, she has sorrow, but after her child comes, then she has great joy and forgets about the, the travail that came before. And so the creation is the same way, looking to be released from bondage and the curse. And that comes with God's, uh, with the, the new humanity in Christ. Uh, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Just the first fruits. We're waiting the fullness. Uh, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Uh, uh, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, and so earlier he talks about we are sons. We have been adopted. It's the spirit of adoption, but now it, it becomes future. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons, where, again, we don't have the fullness of our adoption. We don't have the full inheritance uh, that we're looking for. Uh, and here, the redemption of our bodies. That's what Paul has in mind uh, as uh, as part of this great glorious inheritance where we will be resurrected with Christ to new glorified bodies, never to die again, never to suffer, no more tears, no more sorrow, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll have fullness of joy uh, in God's presence and in his uh, new creation. So we groan uh, like the creation, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But uh, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And that makes sense right on the face of it. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. You know, hope for something that you have. Uh, if you're looking, uh, hoping for uh for maybe a, a gift or something. Well, if you have it in your hands and it's unwrapped and uh, you, you have the joy of maybe you, you wanted a dog and, and maybe your parents got you a dog and you receive it, you're no longer anticipating it. You're no longer looking forward to it. You have it. It's, it's, not, it's not a hope anymore, but you've received it. Uh, and so it is with the salvation in the resurrection of our bodies. Uh, we were saved in hope, uh, looking for after this short time, we will be raised with Christ also. And so, uh, for in this hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And this is basically drawing back to Romans 5, where he talks about Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And talks about the peace and the reconciliation we have, of the grace in which we now stand, not just in justifying us, but we stand in God's grace, uh, the, uh, the free gift of blessing and promise. Uh, and he talks about how we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering uh, produces 
uh, talks about uh, character and hope, and hope doesn't disappoint, and, uh, and such, and talks about the hope and confidence we have in God, in Christ. And so now he's, he's bringing this section to a close and echoing all the way back, kind of like an inclusio, bookends uh, on this whole section, showing what confidence and hope we have in the inheritance to come with Christ. And so now he'll talk about the spirit. Uh, the spirit is at work. Uh, and this is why we have hope and confidence, the father and the son. Uh, and uh, This is what grounds our uh, hope. And so likewise, uh, kind of referring back to our groaning, uh, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray uh, for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so uh, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, uh, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Boy, we're kind of weak and pathetic. Uh, we, we pray, we're called to pray, uh, and we should pray, and and God answers and hears us, but oftentimes we don't even know what we should pray for. <laughs> we might pray for 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 the the wrong things, or maybe we expect a, a solution, and God has uh, something a better in in mind that will be better for us uh, in in the the long run. Uh, looking at uh, eternity uh, in God's wise, sovereign, uh, omnipotent, omniscient. A plan, knowing all things and having designed it perfectly, uh, we uh, often uh, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And did you know? Talks about Christ interceding as High Priest. Uh, he presents His perfect, His once for all perfect sacrifice to the Father, uh, and uh, He prays for us. He intercedes for us. Uh, and it's accepted, and we'll see this in a little bit. The Spirit also intercedes uh, and prays uh, for us uh, because we, we don't know what we ought to pray for. And so the Spirit himself, uh, he prays for us. He knows what's best, and, and he who searches hearts, uh, that's God, that's the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit is God. Of course, he intercedes according to the will of God, just as the Son always did the will of the Father. Uh, the Spirit does the will of the Father and the, the, the Son. Uh, they're one. They're in harmony, in purpose. Uh, the Spirit uh, is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. And they are the one true creator of God. And so, uh, of course, uh, the, the Father knows the very mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit knows the mind of the, the Father and his will, and he intercedes according to the will of God. And Christ himself prayed according to the Father's will. And so now uh, we get to the, the Father, uh, and that was the Spirit's work of intercession uh, for us, uh, giving us this confidence and hope uh, so that we can have patience and perse persevere uh, to uh, the end. And uh, uh, there are two sides to the coin. Uh, Christians... Uh, by God's grace, they persevere uh, through suffering and trial uh, and in faith. Uh, but God also preserves them uh, in uh, this life. There are always two sides to the coin. Christians persevere because they're preserved by, by God. He'll keep them in the faith of the same spirit who gave them life. And so uh, now uh, the Father, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And everything's going to show all things. And so this suffering that we face in this short life, uh, this gives, gives us confidence and hope, the intercession and prayers of the Spirit, and the fact that uh, the Father, and we'll see it throughout the rest of this entire section, that, and we know, that for those who love God, those who love God, those are believers, are those who uh, trust uh, and hope in him and in his son. Uh, for those who love God, all things work together 
for good, uh, for those who are called according to his purpose, uh, for those who love God. Believers, everything works together for good. Everything works together for good. Uh, even the things that you might think are good on the face face of it that are pleasant and maybe uh, easy, the, the easy times in, in your life. And uh, you might think things are uh, um, uh, going a little easier at times and they're, they're lighter. Uh, but also the things that we, we think are, uh, oh no, this is terrible, I can't handle this. Uh, the suffering, uh, the death of loved ones, uh, the, the, the very... Uh, worst and greatest trials that come upon us. Uh, God, because he is sovereign over all things, uh, he has determined that every single thing, every moment of your life, all things work together for uh, your ultimate good. And, and we're going to see this doesn't mean, uh, as some would maybe teach, like... Um, you know, I, I, I walk outside and someone pulls up with a Ferrari and they're like, you know, uh, I, we, we've, we've seen all the good you've done and uh, we, we want to give you this Ferrari or, you know, and, and I, I go to the mall and the, uh, remember John MacArthur, uh, can I talk about, ah, oh, the first parking space, it's always open. And uh, MacArthur was like, yeah, because you just took it from the old lady that <laughs> was trying to park and uh, kind of word faith uh, type, type teaching and uh, sort of that. A superficial a surface level uh, where uh, where uh, you know uh, life you're going to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous every day of your life and uh, that's uh, that's what means uh, all things work together for your good and if you don't have that you must not be a Christian but it's like wow that's ripping you out of context this is in the context he's talking about the the momentary light suffering that we hear have. relatively speaking he's not trying to downplay of the suffering that people face, but from the perspective of eternity, from a thousand years out, from 10,000 years, from a million years, it looks very short and brief. Uh, remember uh, the curse and saying that about the rich man Lazarus. Um, and so, for those uh, who love God, uh, verse 28, uh, we know that uh, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Those who are called, it's God's calling as he calls, calls believers, his elect, the called, the chosen, as we'll see as we keep reading. And God in his kindness and goodness, all of humanity rebelled against him. They deserved only death, but God had a remnant and by his sheer grace and undeserved mercy, he had mercy on sinners. Uh, that uh, he chose and called uh, to uh, redeem and be united to uh, his son. Uh, and we, uh, and so uh, for those who are called according to his purpose, and we're going to see the outworking of his purpose as we're talking about all things, God's purpose for uh, believers. Uh, for those whom he foreknew, uh, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And this helps to explain uh, what just came before. For it supports uh, and helps explain uh, what he just said about all things working together for good. For those whom he foreknew, uh, he also predestined. Uh, those whom he foreknew. And uh, some try and make this, well, uh, God, he just looked down the, the corridors of time. Uh, he didn't. He didn't determine all things, uh, but he just knows what's going to happen, just passively, and he looks ahead in time and sees, oh, they will believe in me, and so I will choose them and predestine them. Uh, but that's not what Paul's saying here. Uh, that God's just kind of looking, looking down the corridors of time and passively seeing what's going to happen, what people are going to do. God doesn't take in knowledge. He knows all things from all eternity. Uh, he, he knows himself perfectly, and he also knows his eternal purposes in creation. He knows because he determined them, uh, all that should come to pass, and he oversees it all and, and even subverts the evil and wicked uh, deeds of men uh, for the good of uh, believers, for his ultimate good. 
uh, ends. But it doesn't say uh, here that uh, that uh, for those whom he foreknew, that God knew something about them, that God knew that they would believe. So it says those whom he foreknew. He foreknew people. He foreknew people. Not things about people. He foreknew people. Uh, it has to do with his his knowing. Uh, his uh, It's relational. Uh, it shows his love. Paul was just talking about his love. And he uh, says to uh, like Jeremiah and some of his prophets and reading the Psalms, uh, before you were in the womb, I knew you and consecrated you, set you apart as my prophet. He knew him before he was in the womb. It was God's choice. It's relational. It's loving. God knows a people. And it's those that he's just talking about, those who are called, those who love God. All things work together for their good. And so uh, we see basically God's for love uh, for uh, for the people, his knowledge of uh, his, his people. And David even talks about, uh, I think from uh, from his mother's breast, he he knew uh, knew God. He he was uh, basically God taught him like in, in the womb and such, and uh, his his spirit. You kind of see that with John the Baptist too, and uh, throughout Scripture. And so, and we're going to see this uh, what's called the golden chain of redemption. Also, also, also linking linking back. Uh, in those, uh, so verse twenty eight, and we know that for those. Uh, who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He predetermined what? Uh, them uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what means all things work together for good. He's conforming believers to the image and likeness of his son uh, so that uh, they uh, will be made in his likeness, never to sin uh, again, uh, but to know his will, uh, to know uh, the will of God, and to love what he loves. And so those whom he foreknew, uh, he also predestined uh, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn, uh, he's the preeminent one, the very first fruits, among many brothers. He's the God-man. He will have many brothers in a new humanity that are brought about by his redemption, by the redemption of the spirit and adoption as sons. And those whom he predestined, he also called, linking back. He could just say, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. You probably get it, but also it links back in those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you have one at the beginning, God's foreknowing, uh, God's really foreloving and choosing, uh, and uh, also his predestining, uh, the same group throughout, those uh, whom he foreknew, uh, he also predestined. And those whom he predestined, uh, he also called. They're the called. Uh, he, he calls them to salvation. He calls them by his spirit uh, to faith in the gospel and to repentance and faith uh, and to be redeemed. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified, declared them righteous in his son. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, Christ loses none of his own. Uh, if uh, any... Uh, Anyone has been foreknown, and that's true of all believers, uh, they will be glorified. Uh, they will be justified and glorified. It all follows. That's why it's called the golden chain of redemption. And that's why we have hope and confidence, because God is at work, working all things together for good, to conform us to the likeness of his Son. And this brings us to the very last verses, where Paul now asks uh, some rhetorical questions. And uh, the answer uh, generally is going to be, uh, I'll spoil it ahead of time, no, 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 uh, again and again. Uh, what shall we say to these things? So he, he's drawing uh, from all of this, uh, showing the hope 
and confidence that we have in this life, even with suffering. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The point is, no one. No one can be against us. If, if God is for us, and he is. He's for believers. We, we've already seen. He's working all things together for their good. He's, uh, he's absolutely for them. Uh, he's, uh, he's beyond in their camp. Uh, he's, uh, he is for uh, believers uh, to uh, redeem them. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? No one, absolutely no one can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son. He did not spare the one thing, the one person, the one individual that was most precious to him uh, out of everything whatsoever from eternity past, his only unique eternal son he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all to suffer and die on our behalf, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gave the one thing that was most precious to him, infinitely so. How will he withhold anything else? He already gave his son. He will freely give everything else and will not withhold it all. None of his blessings, none of his promises, uh, not his provision or presence, but uh, we will inherit uh, the new heavens and the new earth with Christ. He will give us all things and will not withhold any because he gave up his son already. And so, verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And we're going to see, no one will. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He's the judge who declares righteous, and he's already declared righteous uh, for those who believe. And so who shall bring a, any charge against God's elect? God's the one who would bring a charge. If there was anyone to bring a charge, it would be God. But God justifies. He declares righteous. He acquits uh, and declares uh, the guilty righteous in his son. And so no one will bring a charge against God's elect, his chosen. Uh, and this is all his chosen. Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If his son was given up, uh, the rest of salvation follows. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? God's justified. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ will judge the living and the dead. But it says here, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. He died on our behalf. He was raised for uh, our justification. Uh, who is at the right hand of God? Uh, his very throne, ruling and reigning, uh, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ, like the Spirit, intercedes for uh, his uh, elect. Uh, and just as he said in John, uh, those that the Father gives to me will come to me, uh, and those who come to me I will never cast out, but raise, uh, raise uh, them, uh, it, on uh, the last day. He is the perfect Redeemer, and Savior and loses none that the Father gives him. So who is to condemn? No one. Christ would be the one to do it, but uh, he is the one who died more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, the very opposite of condemning us. He's interceding so that uh, because of his finished work, God doesn't condemn uh, any longer uh, believers. Who shall separate us from uh, the love of Christ. And any guesses? Uh, here, here's where it ends. Here, here we're, we'll find, I think we're, we're going to find someone who's going to separate us, you know, by the time we, we get to the, the end. It must, be, it must be here, you know, of all places. It's, it's Paul's last chance to tell us, you know. Uh, so who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one, uh, nothing shall separate us from uh, the love of Christ. And uh, we're basically off time, but just, just quickly look through this one more time. Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ shall tribulation. Uh, we see these, uh, these uh, trying times and difficulties and travails uh, that, that come, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. These are all things that could be great threats and cause great suffering. Uh, but these will not separate us from uh, the love of Christ uh, in this life or uh, in eternity to come. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Uh, in that, uh, Psalm 44, and you might want to look that up later. Uh, it's very interesting because it's at a time of believers, a remnant in Israel, where, uh, where trials and tribulation is coming upon them. And he meditates on the time of like Joshua in the conquest and the, uh, how God brought them into the land and subdued their enemies. But they came to a time where enemies were coming upon them and they were in great distress, in peril. Uh, but uh, he declares that they believed and trusted in God uh, anyway. And for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But by the end, he expresses his, his confidence and hope that God will redeem uh, his uh, people and will ultimately bless them and fulfill all of his promises in all of the earth and all of the, the nations. So Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's through Christ, him who loved us. He, he calls him uh, the one who died for us and was raised for us and intercedes for us uh, continually at the right hand of the Father. Uh, now listen, he basically draws from everything in creation. For I am sure that neither death nor life, life and death, uh, all, all dimensions and aspects of creation, neither death nor life, nor angels, or nor rulers, uh, those are authorities, uh, nor things present, nor things to come, all of time, uh, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, uh, space, time, authorities, life, death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He basically uh, exhausts uh, the Greek language uh, to show that nothing in creation can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, that is why we have hope and confidence uh, in the Spirit, in the Father, in the Son, that we will receive the full inheritance as a sons uh, with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. All of God's blessings, promises, provision, his presence, uh, and great joy forevermore. And so, uh, that uh, is his great and grand conclusion from uh, chapter 5 on, showing the implications of the gospel. You've been justified, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, we stand in this grace uh, that justifies, uh, and we will for forevermore. Uh, uh, grace redeemed us, and grace will bring us all the way home. So I hope uh, that... Uh, is encouraging just to, to see uh, just how awesome uh, these promises and blessings are that Paul uh, describes in the book of, of Romans. And I hope you understand it a little bit better so that maybe it'll help uh, just understand 
uh, all of all of Scripture and have confidence and hope in Christ. So let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Uh, thank you for the Apostle Paul and for your spirit uh, through whom uh, you uh, ultimately spoke these words as he uh, carried along your apostle uh, so that uh, these are, they are the, the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, but they're not just that. They're your very words that you intended. And uh, we thank you for the hope and the encouragement that we have and that uh, the reign of sin and death and condemnation uh, and the, the law is uh, it's uh, being brought to an end so that uh, we uh, will enjoy uh, the reign that's uh, in and through your Son forevermore. Uh, we will uh, forever stand in, in your grace and uh, in the very righteousness of Christ and uh, in the, the justification and uh, blessings and promises and uh, righteousness and peace and life that you have brought and brought about through your one and only Son. And, uh, we pray that you'd impress these things on our hearts and minds uh, by your Spirit and that our trust would be in you, uh, in your Son. And, uh, you'd cause us to stand uh, by your Spirit. And so uh, we give you all the thanks and glory and pray in the name of your Son. Amen.